Welcome to the Fueling the Future podcast, where we get to the bottoms of issues, trends, and developments in transport energy. My name is Tammy Klein, principal and founder and CEO of Transport Energy Strategies, and I'm super excited to have with me today Dr. Matteo Muratori, who is the team lead of Integrated Transportation and Energy Systems Analysis for the National Renewable Energy Laboratory. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about Matteo before I officially welcome him to the program. He's a senior engineer in NREL's Center for Integrated Mobility Sciences. Uh, he leads the Integrated Transportation and Energy Systems Analysis Team, which researches new technology options supporting the development of alternative fuel vehicles and infrastructure. His interests revolve around the broad interactions among the transportation sector and other supply-demand sectors, as well as the exploration of long-term strategic transformation scenarios, which we'll be talking about today. He has authored or co-authored more than 60 technical publications and regularly presents research results at conferences and workshops. Um, among his uh, educational background, he has his PhD in mechanical engineering from The Ohio State University. Matteo, welcome to the program. Hi, Tammy, and hi, everyone. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here today, and thanks for the very nice introduction. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really good one. Um, so I'm super excited to have you on the show today. Um, as we get started, my first question is, especially for the listeners who may not be familiar, uh, can you talk a little bit more about your role and a little bit more about the research um, that you're doing within the National Renewable Energy Laboratory? A little beyond the bio, as uh, it were. Yes, uh, absolutely. And, and for those of you not familiar with the National Renewable Energy Lab of NREL, uh, we are part of uh, the national, uh, the Department of Energy Complex of National Laboratories. There are 17 of national labs in the country, but we are the only national lab that focuses on energy efficiency and renewable energy. That's our core mission. And we explore uh, a lot of different aspects within renewable energy and energy efficiency. So I'm in the transportation center within, uh, here at NREL, and my team really tries to understand uh, two things. Uh, first, how mobility and transportation is going to evolve in the long run. And so, you know, in 20 or 30 years, how are we going to move around? How is freight going to move around? And how things are going to change for mobility in general? Uh, we also think that mobility is transitioning uh, from being reliant on fossil fuel, which is what we use today for over 95% of our transportation energy needs, to something else. And we want to explore what that something else is, and that includes biofuels, it includes hydrogen, it includes e-fuels, and it includes electricity. Uh, and we also want to explore how those future fuels will integrate with the rest of the power system, or the rest of the energy system in general. Uh, lately, we have spent a lot of time uh, exploring and studying uh, battery electric vehicles, which I think is something that we're going to uh, dive mm -hmm. in uh, today, not to forget all the other important aspects, but, you know, battery electric vehicles are becoming commercially available and are a very hot topic recently. And so we deal, we, we, we explore adoption opportunities. We explore what kind of infrastructure is needed to support those vehicles. And we also focus a lot on understanding what, how those vehicles can be integrated in the power system and support the evolution of the power system, which is also undergoing profound transport transformation. So... Um, just one note before we jump in, Tammy. Uh, I'm happy to share my 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 thoughts and my uh, my personal opinion today. I'm not here representing the Department of Energy or or the National Lab in any official capacity. 
Absolutely. So can you talk about NREL's, uh, from your own point of view, NREL's electrification future, future study and how you as the, as the team lead, but also NREL sees vehicle electrification evolving uh, in the U.S.? I mean, as you yourself have noted in your own work, forecasts are all over the map. I've done it. Actually, there was a chart that you did that actually is similar to one that I do where I look at all the forecasts and there's little diamonds all, you know, all over the, all over the map. Um, you know, what is, so, so what is a realistic scenario for, for EV penetration? How much and by when, and, and sort of what is your, you know, what's the tipping point in your view? Um, or, or have we already reached that point? Yeah, sure. So uh, the electrification. Lots of questions there. <laughs> a lot of oh, questions yeah, there. <laughs> I was taking notes here, so I'll try. I'll try to touch okay. on all of these points. Okay, good. <laughs> but the electrification future studies or, or EFS is one of my one of my favorite projects. It was actually led by by my one of my colleagues in our in our uh, strategic energy analysis center, and, and I coordinated the transportation aspect. Uh, it, it was a multi year study that was led by NREL. Uh, one of the key aspects of, uh, maybe not key aspect, but one of the important aspects of the study is that uh, we have published four or five reports about it, and all the data underlying that study are publicly available. So anyone who is interested in understanding more and seeing more details, please just Google NREL EFS. There is a nice landing page, and again, all the data is available there. If you don't find what you're looking for, feel free to email us, and we are more than happy to share more details. Um, but EFS was really something that was kicked off, in, uh, supported by the Department of Energy, uh, I believe back in 2017. So it's been a few years now. And it was trying to answer two key questions. The first one is how might widespread electrification impact the national and regional electricity demand? So this is beyond transportation. If we think about electrifying our economy, buildings, industry, and transportation, you know, how will the demand for electricity change as a result of that? And then the natural question is then, how will the power system uh, uh, have to evolve to accommodate this change in electricity demand? Uh, of course, I'm biased. I'm a transportation person. But uh, what we have seen in EFS is that transportation is actually responsible for the majority of the load growth over time. That doesn't mean that the other sectors do not have opportunity to increase electrification. But what happens in the other sectors is that usually uh, this greater use of electricity is, is balanced out by improved efficiency. And so you, you consume more electricity, but you also do so more efficiently. So the total demand doesn't change all that much. Well, in transportation, we do not use electricity today effectively. Uh, it's a very, very small portion of, of the energy usage. So what happens is that transportation is really responsible for most of the load growth opportunity. And important aspect, I believe you're going to talk a little bit more about this later, but not transportation is not just a lot of electricity demand. It's also a very flexible demand of electricity. You know, vehicles are parked for about 95% of the time. Yeah. And they're only used for 5% of the time, which means that you can charge them in many different ways. And you can charge them in a way that is more favorable for the power system. Right. Uh, touching on your point on adoption, you know, it's always hard to project the future, uh, the future adoption of any technology, right? We, right. We, don't, we don't really have a crystal ball. We had one in our basement, got broken a few years ago. Uh, <laughs> but what we, what we try one. to do is... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> What we 
try to do is to explore scenarios, right? And we try to understand what are the impacts of different scenarios. We're not necessarily in the business of, of forecasting what the future looks like, but what we want to do is provide our stakeholders with insights of like, you know, what if scenario? What happens if, if we are in one scenario versus another? And that's what we did in EFS. We have three different scenarios, a baseline uh, that is very much aligned with the annual energy outlook from the uh, Energy Information Administration, which is which is largely used as a as a baseline scenario in the in the energy community. And then we have different levels of electrification. We have medium and high, where high is like where we, we project that a lot of electrification is going to happen. In that high scenario, transportation uh, electricity demand grows from being 0.2% of the market today. So today, only 0.2% of all the electricity that we produce goes to transportation. And this must be rail. Yeah. Uh, that grows to 25%. Wow. So, so it, an incredible growth. Uh, that's what I was talking about uh, earlier, right? Transportation goes from being almost irrelevant from an electricity perspective to be a quarter of the overall market. So, so mm. very, very relevant. And we see that ramp down happening over time. Uh, how, how realistic that is? Well, we are seeing electric vehicle adoption increasing uh, in, in a lot of places. California is leading adoption in the US. Uh, mm-hmm. In the last couple of years, uh, 8% of new vehicle sales were electric vehicles in California. Uh, that, that number is about 2% uh, at, the national, at the national level. Uh, but we see other places in the world where, where EVs are being very successful. Norway uh, in, in Europe is actually leading adoption globally. Uh, last year, 65% of new vehicles were, were electric. Uh, and China is also, is also moving very aggressively towards electrification. It's hard to project and, and, and forecast when uh, EVs are going to become the main technology, but for light-duty vehicle application, for the personal vehicles that, that, that you and I drive around, the cars, the SUV, the pickup trucks, we really see a pathways for for uh, transitioning to electric vehicles over the next decade. Uh, the key aspect is that uh, you know uh, cost parity with with internal combustion engine with our gasoline vehicles is something that that is now within reach. And and keep in mind that this is revolutionary for transportation. Just ten years ago, batteries cost more than a thousand dollars a kilowatt hours. Yes, yes. Today. Today, we are at about $150 a kilowatt hours, you know, depending on, on, on different sources. And we project that by, by the, the end of this decade, we are going to be below $100 a kilowatt hours. Yeah. DOE is projecting that at between $80 and $100 per kilowatt hours is when we're going to hit the cost price parity. So you go, you step into a dealer, and to buy a very similar vehicle, gasoline version or electric version, you're going to pay the same. And that's where we think it's really going to tip the market. It's really going to reach the point where, where people are going to start realizing, hey, this vehicle, you know, doesn't emit any, uh, any greenhouse gas. It doesn't emit any, any pollution. Our grid is transforming and is getting cleaner and cleaner. So even when we consider the emissions from electricity sector, you know, th- this vehicle is really benefiting the environment. It provides great acceleration. It's not noisy. It doesn't smell. I don't need to do oil changes. I can charge it at home, yeah. and look, it costs as much as buying a gasoline vehicle, and so it's going to really ramp up, uh, ramp up adoption. So, so hard to to pinpoint an exact point in time, but we think the next decade is really where where electric vehicles are going to start uh, becoming the mainstream technology for for light duty. So, to get to that twenty five percent, you said that that uh, the um, electric vehicles will represent about twenty five percent 
um, of demand for, for power generation. So on the power generation side, which really is not a side, you know, I'm a, I'm a transport fuels energy person, not a power generation <laughs> um, um, expert. So what has to happen on the power gen side and the grid um, nationally to be able to support, you know, is there going to need to be expansion? Um, is there is there not going to need to be expansion? And then where does the renewable energy piece um, fit into that? Because many utilities are, are doing a lot of investment um, on that side of the coin as well. I mean, as our consumers and, and so forth around the country. Absolutely. That's a great point. Uh, I'll try to unpack it into two, two different pieces. One, uh, what does need to happen for the power system to accommodate this high level of electrification? And the power system will need to expand, right? We're going to need to expand. The power system is usually divided in generation, transmission, and distribution. So the generation is usually your, your big power plants, and then you have those uh, high-voltage power line moving power across the country. And then you have the cables and the, the transformers that get power into your, your house or, or um, commercial building, right? So those are the three big pieces. And we think that all three big pieces will need to expand over time to accommodate the growth in, in uh, electric vehicle adoption. This is not necessarily a, a, a deal breaker or a problem. Like uh, sometimes I hear this as uh, be, being brought up as, a, as an issue, right? As, a, mm -hmm. as something negative. So let me, let me share at least my perspective. Mm -hmm. So the electric industry has been experiencing stagnating demand for about two decades. Mm -hmm. uh, so simply in the U.S., there hasn't been growth in demand for electricity. We, we, we don't need more than we needed 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so from an industry perspective, EVs are really a, a unique opportunity to grow their demand. And growing their demand is surely something that is welcomed by, by the utility industry, right? You're basically selling more, more power. Mm -hmm. And this is also something that benefits the system in general. But if we have higher demand for electricity, we can utilize our assets better. Right? You have higher utilization, you use those power lines more constantly, you use those, those power plants more efficiently, especially if you have a flexible load that, like EVs. And so there have been a number of studies that show that EVs can actually reduce the cost of electricity. That doesn't mean investments are not needed. We still need to build new power plants, but we're using the overall system in a more efficient way. And so we all pay a little bit less for electricity. The system is more efficient, and, uh, and, and, and we think uh, it's a win-win situation. An important data point I wanted to share with you on this. In 2019, uh, the U.S. Drive Partnership, and U.S. Drive is a partnership between uh, the federal government, so the, mm -hmm. the Department of Energy is, is a big portion of that, but industry is very active, and is the automotive industry, so the, the three, uh, three big manufacturers in the U.S., is the electric utility industry, EPRI is there, is the energy industry uh, in general, with ExxonMobil and Chevron being members as well. Uh, put out a report, and in that report, we basically looked at how much would the power system need to expand to accommodate a growing fleet of electric vehicles compared to how much the system has expanded in the past. So, so as we said, the past 20 years, there wasn't a huge expansion of electricity demand, but historically, you know, the power system in the U.S. has expanded tremendously over the past, you know, half a decade. Mm -hmm. And what we have seen is that the rate at which the system expanded in the past 
you know, and this has nothing to do with electric vehicles, right? Because we did not have electric vehicles. Uh, so the rate at which the system expanded in the past is greater than the rate at which it would need to expand to accommodate vehicle electrification. And so, in a sense, this is very reassuring. The same way that we expanded the system decades ago, we can do it again, and we can do it this time to electrify electric vehicles. So, so there doesn't really seem to be any major roadblock or concern in, uh, in transforming and, and upgrading our power system to accommodate EV adoption. So let me ask... I wanted to... Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I wanted to touch on the second part of your question, oh, which was yes. renewables. Uh, yes. Uh, and I think this is a really important point. You know, the power system is not this static animal, right? It's a, it's a living creature. It's also evolving. It's also changing. And the mm-hmm. biggest change that's happening on the power system is the adoption of renewables. So the system is basically transitioning from a, a traditional uh, system that, that includes centralized generation, one-way transmission and control, and passive loads into a system that now has these variable renewables that are integrated. You know, you can schedule when the sun shines, when the, when the wind blows. And so the whole system is being transformed. In this transformation, actually, electric vehicles with their flexibility, again, with this option of being able to charge them at different times and at different mm-hmm. places, yeah. really complement very well the variable renewable um, uh, energy sources, right? And so, uh, for example, uh, you know, being able to 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 change the time at which uh, vehicles are charged and align that with with renewables. The wind is blowing, so I'm going to charge my vehicle. So the wind is not blowing, so I'm going to pause uh, my EV charging if possible. Uh, really helps to reduce system cost, improve resiliency and reliability of the system. So, so uh, my perspective is that both technologies, the renewables and the EV, are really seeing a bright future ahead of them. And the two really work very well synergistically. They can complement each other very well. Uh, so one of the things that we are exploring here at NREL is how do we think about this future integrated system? It used to be the power system and the transportation system were two different things. How do we think about these two systems being integrated in the future and how can they support each other? And we do see a lot of opportunities uh, for synergistic uh, improvement in efficiency across the two systems. Is storage for renewables uh, much of an issue um, at this point or not really? Or is the vehicle kind of like a storage? I mean, it is storage at one point. I mean, we'll talk a little bit about, um, uh, I want to ask you about vehicle to grid, but um, yeah, what about storage as as an option for renewables? Is that less of an issue now? Yeah, no, I think that that's that's a critical element. You know, when we think about transforming the power system again, is uh, I think I, I can't remember the quote, but, but but someone said the power system is the largest uh, uh, the, the largest endeavor that mankind ever built, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so so it's a very complex complex system. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, uh, it's large, it's extensive, and it's gonna need. A lot of different, uh, a lot of changes as as the system transforms, and so flexible loads like EVs will play a role. Stationary energy storage will play a role, and there is a role for different timescales. So think about, you know, what we can store in a battery that can be charged and discharged, let's say between between you know a few hours and a day, and then long term energy storage, something that, for example, pump hydro or hydrogen could provide. You know, our perspective is that there is going to be a need for all of that, 
There is going to be a need for, for short-term energy storage. There is going to be a need for long-term energy storage. And there is going to be a need for uh, flexible loads. Uh, one of the big advantages of flexible loads, especially from EVs, is that you know it might be uh, already available. You have the EVs there, the flexibility is there, it exists. You don't need to purchase new assets. You actually uh, add a new revenue stream for electric vehicles, so it can help electrification uh, of, of the vehicle fleet and also help the planning and operation of the power system. So, so it's sort of a win-win situation. That, that doesn't mean that you know energy storage uh, is not needed. Uh, as you said, EVs are also, or could also be, an energy storage on, uh, right? You, you can connect mm-hmm. EVs to the grid and discharge power back, what is usually called V2G, right. uh, vehicle-to-grid services. Uh, and, and that makes an EV effectively a, a, a distributed energy storage device uh, that can provide further values to the grid. That's something that is not usually done uh, today. So uh, very, very few cases of commercial V2G. There are some pilot programs and studies. Uh, but, but I wouldn't rule that out in the long run. What our research is suggesting is that there is a lot of value in scheduling and managing the charging of OPV. So, so not discharging the vehicles back to the grid, but deciding when in time is best to charge those vehicles. I think that's the low-hanging fruit. That's what we should really target first. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, vehicle to G, uh, uh, V2G or vehicle to grid can come next as, a, as an additional value stream that we can explore uh, in, the, in the decades to come. And there is a lot of research that, 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 that we and other national labs and other, other universities and research centers throughout the world are doing in this field. So do you see, since we're on the topic of, of V2G, um, what would a, a time frame be? You said in the, in the coming years, um, you know, could we see, you know, uh, standards or regulations being deployed, you know, maybe in the next 10 years, earlier, later? Or um, do you have a view about how you see that shaping up? Or is it just really still too new? Uh, to really even say or have a have a view on yeah i i think over the next 10 years there is going to be a lot of focus on mana charging uh, and, and again flexible flexible ev charging i i think v2g is going to come is going to come afterwards mm-hmm. uh, but you know uh, we have been proven wrong in terms of how quickly technology can can evolve, and so I, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if it, if V2G became a reality uh, sooner than that. Uh, but but again, a lot of our results point uh, to the fact that the, 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 there is a lot of value in flexible charging, and then V2G is sort of an additional, like it's almost like a, a the icing on top of the cake. Uh, so, so so as an engineer, I think we should start. We should start simple. Let's build a cake. Let's make the right. cake work, and then put the icing on top of it, which is going to be nice and useful and important. Right. Um, also important to to recognize that the value of flexible charging and P2G, uh, again, given the complementarity with the re- with renewables, is going to increase over time as we deploy more renewables. But but it will take a significant amount of time to transform our power system. Right. Uh, that that. You know, so so over the next decade, I really see a lot a lot of opportunities for commercial flexible charging and managed charging, and then I see V two G coming in a little bit later. So, how do you see? So, going back to the vehicles, we were really talking um, more about the light duty fleet. How do you see the heavy duty fleet? I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of stuff going on 
with um, medium and heavy duty electrification. How do you see that space from your own point of view evolving over the next 10 years or so? Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Uh, Electrification of medium and heavy duty vehicles is an emerging area that I think will only increase in importance as we walk the path of decarbonization. Uh, Medium and heavy duty vehicles uh, you know, electric, electric medium and heavy duty vehicles were not considered viable solution or viable no. alternative to diesel engines until very recently. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are a few vehicles that are commercially available in the market, but it's not something that is as common, right? Usually right. you drive on the highway and you don't see an electric truck. Right. Well, our view is that, that that will change and that will change very rapidly. Uh, adoption of electric buses is actually leading uh, in the EV space, right? Electric buses are being adopted very rapidly. They're yeah. they a very, very good business case. Uh, and the same can happen for trucks and, and, and smaller vehicles like delivery vans. There was a lot of talk about this uh, for the USPS uh, fleet of vehicles uh, recently, for example. Yeah. Um, what we're seeing is that EVs are now uh, more than competitive from a performance perspective, right? They have a better acceleration. They provide a better driving experience. They can, that can imp- improve safety, which is something that, that is often uh, uh, not mentioned when we talk about energy, but, you know, having safer highways is, is critically yeah. important. You know, those yeah. vehicles are, are large and, and they can cause uh, very, uh, very deadly accidents. So, so having uh, vehicles that are better to drive is surely a big advantage. Uh, and from a cost perspective, with the cost of batteries really plummeting over time, we are now seeing that EVs are already cost competitive for some applications because you know they might cost more to purchase, but then they cost a lot less to operate. And that includes maintenance and fuel. Uh, and those are critical elements for fleets. Uh, you know, having a fleet with lower maintenance reduces cost, improves your reliability, your availability of, of vehicles to, yeah. to, to complete your mission. Uh, so, so we see a very, very uh, good prospect for EV in the medium and heavy duty vehicle space. It's going to be a whole variety of vehicles. Um, the, the, the other point uh, that I think is important to keep in mind, when we think about adoption of light duty vehicles, there is a lot of uh, there are a lot of consumers, right? We sell 17 million light duty vehicles yes. every year in the country, which means you have 17 million decision makers that decide to purchase one vehicle of another for a number of different reasons uh, that, that that are not all necessarily financials, right? It's mm-hmm. not just cost. I don't go and buy a car and buy the cheapest car that exists out there. Everyone buys a car, you know, keeping in mind the set of different needs and requirements. Yeah. Whether real or per- perceived, mm-hmm. for medium and heavy duty vehicle, it is a lot more. Uh, it is a lot more driven by by cost, right? Uh, for a fleet operator, if electric vehicles become a, a better business case, if they provide uh, cost savings opportunity compared to their diesel counterparts, we really see that adoption turning around a lot more quickly, right? right? So that tipping point, once it's it, we think is going to have a much more. Um, strong and sharp result in the market. Uh, and that's why the commercial vehicles can actually uh, overtake the, the light duty vehicles in, in some of this projection and really uh, ramp up in adoption faster. Um, my, my personal perspective is that we're, we're going to see that. We're going to see that over the next uh, you know, 10 to 15 years. Uh, it, it will become normal to see, to see an electric 
an electric commercial vehicle. Uh, and hopefully by the time that, that, that my child, who is now, now one year old, uh, is, is, uh, is driving in the roads, it will be the norm, you know, all, all commercial vehicles uh, and then all light duty vehicles will be electric. Yeah, I do think it's interesting what you say. I think there is a great potential, at least in the beginning, as consumers get familiar with the technology, as, as infrastructure continues to expand, as model options become more expansive and, and available at different price points, which I think is a, is a critical issue now. I mean, I think we could see more of a ramp up on the medium and heavy duty side, especially for uh, short route uh, delivery vehicles, last mile delivery vehicles, um, buses, um, you know, we could see more of a, of a scale up there in that sector in, initially uh, than we might see in, on the light duty um, side. Although I think ultimately, for all the reasons you say, especially post 2030, um, you know, I think I, I'm, I'm kind of envisioning, you know, my own analysis is more like a hockey stick. It starts slow and then it really begins to um, to increase over time. But it's interesting. There are issues. I mean, the total cost of ownership, you know, drivers, as you very well know, most drivers do not factor in <laughs> total cost of ownership, whereas a fleet owner, you know, that's the top of mind, um, you know, issue for them. The infrastructure could be easier, um, especially if you do depot charging and stuff like that. Um, it, it's a, it's a, it's more uh, simple, I think, in many ways on that side of the coin. So that'll be interesting to see, you know, like the relative uh, adoption rates between light and heavy duty over these next few years, just to, just to see. But you're so right. I mean, in 2017 and even in 2018, I mean, that was really decried in the media as completely impossible. This completely doesn't make any sense, blah, 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 blah. And here we are just a few short years later and, um, and it's happening. Yeah, no, you, you are absolutely right. Uh, I, I think the hockey stick, we usually call it an S shape, <laughs> but we have seen that sort of quick ramp up in adoption in a lot of different technologies, right? It happened for air conditioners, it happened for refrigerators, it happened for color TV, uh, and it happened for automobiles back at the beginning of the, of the 20th century. And now, now we think it's going to happen again, like it happened for all those other technologies for, for electric vehicles. And, and, and it, when it happens, it happens, it happens fast, right? Once that tipping point is hit, once there is confidence from a consumer perspective. Uh, and I think an, another critical point here is once there is a system that offers a better mobility solution. So that, that, I think, is a critical aspect that we need to think about, is how EVs can be better than gasoline vehicles. There is a lot of emphasis on how EVs compare and can match the conventional vehicle. I do think that they provide a number of improvements and, and, and better experiences. You know, For me, being able to charge at home and never having to go to a gasoline uh, station unless I take a very long trip, which happens rarely, you know, a few mm -hmm. times a year. Yeah. That that's a big advantage. It's a big convenience. You know, I never have to run late to a meeting because I need to stop to a gas station. Mm -hmm. um, not having to do the maintenance, not having to do oil changes, having a better acceleration, having a non-noisy vehicle. Those, those are all big advantages that that provide a better uh, experience for consumers. The same for commercial vehicles: better acceleration, lower costs. Uh, really, really important there. So, so yeah, I I, I agree with you. We we have done a recent study. 
in collaboration with a couple of utilities and with Tesla on depot charging for trucks. And, and we do see that as the as the lower lower hanging fruit, right? The, yeah. the easiest opportunity. Electrify a depot, you can you can recharge your vehicle there. You don't mm-hmm. need that extensive network of public station, which is gonna be built over time, but again, it's gonna take time to ramp up. So, so I think that there are a lot of opportunities uh, for those uh, locally operated vehicles to start electrifying sooner uh, while, while the technology improves. And then uh, perhaps in the future, we can think about the longer distance, the, the vehicles that do, that do you know, uh, cross-country, coast-to-coast driving and need necessarily a network of public stations. That would be more challenging. Um, and that's where maybe other technologies can also help in thinking the biofuels or the hydrogen. Right. Um, but uh, Yeah. So with respect to infrastructure, especially maybe on the light duty side of, of the equation, um, you know, and, and last que- this is the last question, by the way, how do you see um, charging infrastructure, you know, evolving um, over the next few years? I mean, this is an area I've been working myself a, a lot on, but I'm interested to hear how you see uh, from your perspective um, and the work that you've done with your colleagues, how you see it evolving. Yeah, and, and charging infrastructure is surely a key aspect of EV adoption, right? If you can't charge your EV, you, you can't adopt it. Uh, one important thing that we try to convey here is that charging an electric vehicles is very different than refueling a gasoline vehicle. But you can have, you have a lot more opportunities to charge your electric vehicle. You could charge it at home. You could charge it at work. You could charge it at a public station while the vehicle is parked for whatever reason, maybe you're grocery shopping or you're hitting the gym or you're watching a movie. And, and that's what we call opportunity charging, uh, right? So you seize the opportunity uh, while your vehicle is parked, again, 95% of the time uh, that your vehicle is parked on average. So you seize that opportunity to charge your vehicle. Uh, that doesn't require fast charging. It doesn't require high power level. Uh, and I think that's where really the convenience of EV comes in, right? That's where, where it's a seamless experience from a consumer. So, so that's where I really think that we should invest a lot to provide the charging opportunity to as many people as possible. Uh, and there are equity issues uh, in that dimension because a lot of people cannot charge at home. A lot of people do not own a garage. A lot of people park in the street. Uh, and so, so it's really critical to provide charging solutions that are convenient for all of those consumers or potential consumers. Uh, keep in mind that a lot of those consumers will have a lot to benefit from EVs with lower maintenance costs, especially uh, consumers who have uh, old vehicles. You know, now if you own a 10 to 15-year-old 15, 15 gasoline vehicles, you're talking about thousands of dollars a year in maintenance cost. Uh, that doesn't apply to someone who buys a new vehicle, uh, by the way. It's, it's a problem that, that they really get pushed down the, the lifetime of the vehicle. But EVs with their lower maintenance costs can really provide a tremendous opportunity to reduce those costs, especially for those consumers. But we need to provide a way for those consumers to charge their vehicles and charge their vehicles conveniently and affordably. So, so critical point there in infrastructure. Uh, on top of opportunity charging, it's also critically important to develop a, a network of fast charging stations. You know, sometimes you just cannot take advantage of all the opportunity charging. Maybe you're taking a very long trip, or maybe for whatever reason you forgot to charge at home and you need to have a safety net. And that's where we really see a network of fast charging stations along highways, but also uh, in communities where people usually drive and live. Uh, that is fundamental to, to uh, enable and support the adoption of EVs. Uh, 
In this space, uh, one of my colleagues, uh, Eric Wood, has spent the last several years building a tool called EVI Pro, the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Projection Tool. Uh, and again, for those of you interested, uh, there are a lot of documentation online, but there is also a web page called EVI Pro Lite. Uh, L-I-T-E, uh, uh, where you can run your own scenario, right? You can you can add the number of vehicles that you expect in your territory. You can select a city or a state. You can select a number of different parameters. And the model is helping you project uh, the level of charging infrastructure that is needed to support uh, that fleet of vehicles. We're seeing a lot of stakeholders using it, local communities, states, uh, private industry as well to, to better understand the, the infrastructure need. We, we have really spent a lot of time uh, in collaboration with the California Energy Commission and with the Department of Energy to develop the tool, and, and, and we are more than happy that the tool is now being helpful to a lot of different stakeholders. So, so I encourage everyone who has uh, infrastructure interest to go to go and check it out. So overall, electric vehicles provide a pathway to decarbonize on-road transportation system. They can eliminate tailpipe emission, solve our petroleum dependency, and overall improve system efficiency. What we see here at the National Renewable Energy Lab is that electric vehicles and power systems are intertwined and they will co-evolve in the future. But the flexibility in EV charging really enables for synergistic improvement of the efficiency and economics of the future mobility power system. All right, that's the show. Thanks for listening. I want to thank Matteo so much for being on the show today. It was great to have you. I hope you come back uh, soon. <laughs> It'd be great to have you. And if you're looking for more information, more analysis on transport energy issues, head to my website, Transport Energy Strategies, and sign up for my free biweekly email. That's the show. Thanks for listening. Take care.